SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Morning after on Sports Grid. Thanks for tuning in on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. This hour, we're going to tell you how the futures market's moving in the NFL. It is on the move, and we are without about a month away from major uh, from the NFL season kicking off. Also, we'll have two great guests, Dr. David Chow, ProFootballDoc.com, to break down some injuries from training camp. In addition to Tom Vecchio to help us break down the Major League Baseball card, there are some updates from around the NFL. Most recently. The New York Giants have announced that their running back, Saquon Barkley, is expected to come off the physically unable to perform list this week and be practicing with the team this week. Ben, this is really good news for the Giants, considering they were nervous Saquon wouldn't even start week one. They were being very cautious with Saquon Barkley throughout this preseason and training camp, hoping he would be back for week one. But all the indications were positive that Saquon was recovering well from that ACL injury that he suffered last season. Now to have him back at practice this week in the first week or second week of August ahead of their first preseason game, he's not going to play, obviously, in that first preseason game. He might not play this entire preseason, but it doesn't matter. To have him back at practice, to have him around and perform. Madeline Burke, the Giants team reporter, told us last week Saquon has been very involved. He has been out there almost shadowing what they have seen out of the offense for the Giants. But to have him there, to be a part of practice alongside Daniel Jones, to be in that backfield, has to have Giants fans so optimistic for what Saquon can do for this team. A very good sight for any Giants backers. And Ariel and I have been very high on the fact that the Giants have a lot of value in the NFC East market. So a great return for Saquon Barkley. Wish him the best health for this year. Saquon and then potentially Kenny Galladay, whose hamstring injury isn't as serious as it looked on the field. So hopefully both of them could play week one for the Giants. And I would assume that that would lead to some movement in the odds market as well. For the NFL quarterback market, the Buffalo Bills have extended their quarterback, Josh Allen, over the weekend. He becomes the second highest paid player in the NFL behind Patrick Mahomes based on his annual salary. So it's $258 million. It's a six-year contract through 2027. $150 million is guaranteed for Allen. When I talk about the annual value, the average annual value he'll be making is $43 million, which is what I was mentioning, the second most behind Patrick Mahomes of all NFL players. Then at this point, when you sign your quarterback to to a contract this massive, a Super Bowl is what your hopes are for the next few years, if not this year. Absolutely so. And right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook, the Buffalo Bills have the third shortest odds to win that Super Bowl. Tied for the third shortest with the Green Bay Packers at plus 1,200. The Chiefs and the Bucks ahead of them there, both the, uh, both the Packers and Bills, to win that Super Bowl. The Bills also have the second shortest odds to win the AFC Conference Championship at plus 550. They are the odds-on favorite to win the AFC East at minus 150. When you are giving Josh Allen that much money and you are setting the market 
for future NFL quarterbacks, the likes of Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, everybody that is involved in that same draft as Josh Allen, you are saying this is our guy for the foreseeable future, the next five, six, seven, hopefully even more than that years to make us a legitimate Super Bowl contender. But that, based on what we saw last year and obviously the optimism for the Bills this year, whose team win total is 11, is the standard now in Buffalo. Circle the wagons, folks. Because the Buffalo Bills have their sights set on a Super Bowl, tied for the third shortest odds to do so at plus 1,200. As we welcome in our Sports Grid Radio audience here to the second hour of the morning after, it's Ben Stevens and Ariel Epstein. You're listening on Sirius XM, Channel 204, the mightier 1090 out on the West Coast. We are discussing some big contracts over the weekend in the NFL. None more so than Josh Allen. Six years, $258 million. 43 mil a year that is the second most in all the league only behind Patrick Mahomes and Ariel the Bills are gunning for the second best odds to win the AFC right now at plus 550 only behind those Chiefs so now Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes almost tied with a lot of what they're doing in their contract and also for their team's hopes of winning an AFC conference championship except Mahomes has won a Super Bowl been in two Super Bowls. We'll see if Josh Allen can do that too. When it comes to the futures market, 4,499 and a half is his passing yards prop for the season. You also look to a lot of the other props, such as having the third best odds for most regular season passing yards. He's behind Mahomes and Dak Prescott for that. When it comes to the fifth best odds behind Mahomes, Brady, Wilson, Rogers for most passing touchdowns, it's pretty good company to be in. 13 to 1 to win MVP, which is the fourth best odds, as Ben alluded to, 12 to 1, third best odds for the Bills to win the Super Bowl. That 13 to 1 and 12 to 1 for MVP and Super Bowl seem pretty correlated to me, Ben. Yeah, they absolutely do. And that goes to show that if the Bills are going to make a run to that Super Bowl and maybe cash in on a 12 to 1 ticket or at least get you value to be the AFC representative at plus 550, then Josh Allen's 13 to 1 to win the MVP is also going to be up there. When you are up with the company of Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers, the only guys you trail in that MVP market right now, that goes to show where the Buffalo Bills think Josh Allen is and where really the betting markets think Josh Allen is in terms of the National Football League. Breaking news just now, Deshaun Watson is at practice with the Houston Texans, by the way. He spoke to his GM, Nick Casario, as he walks out on the field. They took pictures of it. He's out. I don't see him in pads, but he is at practice for the first time in over a week. There there was speculation regarding injuries that could have kept him off the field. However, it's very rare that you see someone not at practice. There was ankle and foot injuries that apparently the doctors were taking uh, medical attention to for Watson in the last couple of weeks. Wasn't at practice all last week. We'll monitor the situation. Haven't heard trade talks ramp up just yet. As for injuries, we have Dr. David Chow of ProFootballDoc.com joining us up next. You're listening here on Sirius XM Channel 204. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
back here on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Joining the show from ProFootballDoc.com, it is Dr. David Chow. Doc, we are hitting that point where these injury updates keep piling in. This morning, just got the update from the New York Giants reporter, Paul Schwartz, that Saquon Barkley is expected to come off the pup list. What was it that got Saquon's process to kind of speed up considering we were questioning his week one status? Well, I don't know that it's sped up any at all. I don't know that his week one status is determined yet. Coming off of PUP just means he has officially passed his physical and the team feels like he can start practicing in some way, shape, or form with the team. That doesn't declare him as 100% healthy. Remember, recovery, especially from an ACL, is not a light switch. It's more slow sunrise, right? You don't say, yesterday he was on PUP and couldn't play, and now today he's 100%. It just doesn't work that way. And, you know, for the last week or week and a half of training camp, look, Saquon's been working all off season. It's not like he just started working a week and a half ago and now he's ready to go. So if something has to been nine months in the making, what does an extra nine days make? And you know, it's gotta be a gradual recovery. So it's good news. I like it. He this puts him in play to play week one. But I've been saying all along, expect a stronger second half of the season for Saquon than the first half. We all remember Dalvin Cook when he came back and then, you know, uh, hamstring uh, reacclimation and, and, you know, compensation issues and so forth. Hope that doesn't happen to Saquon. He's a super hard worker, but I don't know we're ready to celebrate yet. So Saquon Barkley recovering from an ACL injury, as is San Francisco 49ers defensive lineman Nick Bosa. He is on a good track here throughout training camp as well, Doc. So what goes into the ACL recovery process that allows people to at least be practicing at this point in the training camp portion? Well, there's a lot that goes into ACL recovery. First of all, not all ACL tears are created equal. You report on the ACL, but you usually don't report on the affiliated injuries. In Saquon's case, we talked about MCL when it first happened. There was a later report of a meniscus, so his was more complicated. And, you know, everyone looks at Adrian Peterson as the bellwether example of nine-month recovery. But remember, he didn't practice or play during the preseason. He was just a superior athlete that gained 2,000 yards that season. Nick Bosa is going to work his way back into shape. He's a superior athlete. The 49ers might use him preferentially on one side or situationally on the other to protect the one knee. And, and he also will have to work his way back into full form. Because, look, as superhuman as these guys are, as great as these players are, they are human, and there's still something called biology that you cannot speed up. Dr. Chow, I was looking at some of these other updates, and you see T.J. Jark, he's on this list with his airline fracture to his finger. The Jacksonville head coach, Urban Meyer, saying that he expects Jark to play week one. When it comes to certain injuries, and we see the result, we see the tweets, and then we see what the head coach says, how much can we really buy into what the head coach is telling us about a month out? Well, uh, good question. I'm kind of getting used to what Urban Meyer says, at least how he's going to handle NFL media, right? And I think I have a pretty good beat on different coaches and different GMs and what they say. But it's not what they say, it's how they say it in conjunction with the injuries. And I actually believe Urban Meyer on this one, assuming it's true that it was a hairline fracture. The reason why you're doing surgery is to stabilize that bone because the hairline fracture would heal on its own. Stabilize the bone for an earlier return. 
So that does fit. Of course, we don't know which finger yet. Look, you know, believe it or not, the fingers make a difference. Uh, a pinky finger or fourth finger is a lot easier to deal with in buddy tape versus an index finger, which is harder. And so there's different factors too, but I, I do believe that Shark has a good chance to be ready and play week one. But of course, he's going to miss all the acclimation time with his new quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. Another star young receiver in the league is the Vikings' Justin Jefferson. He left practice on Friday with an AC sprain in that shoulder. A source had texted Adam Schefter that it was nothing serious. Dr. Chow, you agreed that you didn't think it would be anything leaking into the season. Why is that? Well, you know, here's the thing that's interesting about that. You know, I, I, I'm not on a training camp tour. I'm at my office working and coaching kids stuff and whatever. But my Twitter lights up with tags with video even you know of like within minutes of his injury and uh i said uh it seemed like an ac joint sprain and i didn't follow the twitter timeline whether we posted at pro football doc first or adam Schefter did first doesn't matter right he just gets a phone call and he gets it but at least we agree ac sprain the way he went down no clavicle fracture he will be ready for the regular season i don't doubt that so you know now we're getting in the era of having training camp video injuries and analysis so it's a whole different world Dr. David Chow, ProFootballDoc.com. you got to check out his Twitter and his website because he's going to give you all of the injury updates. He was the team doctor for the San Diego Chargers for many years, so great insight here. Now, you've been all over this story with Michael Thomas, the Saints wide receiver. Even just a few weeks ago, you said something's not right here. Can't guard Mike. Michael Thomas tweeted this out within the last 24 hours saying, quote, they tried to damage your reputation. You saved theirs by not telling your side of the story. Dr. Chow, what's going on between the Saints and Michael Thomas? Well, there's always two sides of the story. When my little one comes in and says, you know, Davis hit me, there's usually another side to the story, right? I mean, what did you do to provoke Davis or what did you steal from him and whatever? And, the, and every parent will know there's some sorting out of the story. I, I, look, I get it that surgery was delayed. There clearly was some miscommunication and there's clearly some difficulty there and misunderstanding. It's rarely one-sided, right? And so we do want to hear both sides. But as I always said, when it first came out and it didn't make sense that he delayed the surgery, there's more to the story. And the first shooter drop where the Saints saying, well, we tried to get in touch with him and he went AWOL, waiting for the second shooter drop. And let's see what really, uh, really did happen. There's always more than one side of the story. Dr. Chow, now that we're in training camp and the entire NFL this week will play preseason games, what's the process like between the coaching staff and the team doctor to establish who is available to play for these first preseason games? Well, you know, ultimately it's up to coaches. Certain coaches will say, I don't want to play this guy, period, no matter what his health is. Some will have, you know, longer leashes. But in general, you only play when you're healthy, especially early goings. But keep in mind, this game will actually be treated as the second preseason game because there's only three of them, right? Mm -hmm. And so the, sec the true second preseason game will be treated like the old third preseason game. And the, the final preseason game, the third one, almost no one will play because it's going to get closer to the season, you know? And so everything kind of gets pushed back a little bit, I think, or at least it's going to be unique this year how coaches handle it because there's one less preseason game. 
Dr. Chow, one big injury last year, a torn ACL to Nick Bosa of the San Francisco 49ers. His head coach, Kyle Shanahan, says he expects his player to play week one. How close is Bosa going to be ready to play for week one of the season? I would believe Coach Shanahan. He's one of the more honest guys out there. When he says it, he's giving it to you fairly straight. I haven't caught him in a lot. But he's also very careful choosing his words. He expects him to play. He's not guaranteeing him to. I expect him to play too. But I also expect him to play at less than 100%. But then again, a 95% Nick Bosa is pretty good. You want to play that guy, right? So he's not saying he's 100%. He's not guaranteeing anything. But I think he's being honest. I don't know the follow-up. Only about yeah. a minute. Go, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Ariel. I was just going to say a follow-up question to what you are going to say, Dr. Chow. Only about 40 seconds left. Who do you not trust as a head coach? <laughs> well, I'm not trying to call anyone out, but there are certain coaches that, that uh, tend to give different sides of stories, uh, you know, that may not true. Look, I'll, let's, let's stay positive. We know uh, Pete Carroll's always... Uh, you know, rainbows and unicorns and roses, right? He's always positive <laughs> what's going on. We know Coach Belichick doesn't say much. He tells you the truth, but he just doesn't say. There are other coaches that are less uh, straightforward with what's going on. So we'll end on a on a positive note. We'll try to read between the lines on ProFootballDoc.com and ProFootballDoc on Twitter. Dr. David Chow, thanks for joining us today. Coming up next, we do have more of the morning after, so stay right here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. On the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. It's time to take a look at how the futures market's moving. It's time for market moves. We're going to take a look at the AFC playoff picture because the AFC has had market moving all over the place. Some of these teams are pretty predictable, others not so much. I have left some teams out. We can only fit about seven on the board, but here's the ones that stood out that moved. First, the Chiefs did go from plus 260 to plus 250, so the line moved in their favor. The Buffalo Bills also had the line move in their favor from six to one to plus 550, not that much movement. The Ravens didn't move at all, which is why they're not on this list. The Cleveland Browns actually moved a dollar, plus 850 to plus 750. So line moving in Cleveland's favor. No surprise, they're always a public favorite. The Denver Broncos, 12 to 1, moves to 28 to 1. And that is the Aaron Rodgers effect right there. Aaron Rodgers had that line move because of the rumors of him potentially going to Denver. And now he's back in Green Bay. So Denver is now at the bottom of the list. The Indianapolis Colts, their injuries, Carson Wentz, their lineman, 13 to 1. It moves against them to 17 to 1. The Tennessee Titans, 14 to 1 to 13 to 1, so the line moves in their favor. And the Vegas Raiders were the sleeper here. Vegas moves from 41 to 1 to 37 to 1 on FanDuel. These odds were snapshotted on July 25th, and the current snapshot is what we just mentioned. Ben, the Vegas Raiders were the ones that stand, 
stood out to me, considering out of nowhere, we're seeing some pretty decent line movement in their favor. Let's focus on those Raiders to start. They are a very interesting team heading into this 2021 NFL campaign. Their team win total right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook is six and a half. And like we always love to say here on the morning after, where is the juice? Well, on this team win total of six and a half, the juice is heavily on the over. Minus 160 to the over. The largest juice that you will have to pay on any team win total you will see across the FanDuel Sportsbook. That is tied with the Minnesota Vikings, who also have their team win total of 8.5 juiced by minus 160. So that's an interesting indication that the Las Vegas Raiders seem well-suited to go over their team win total of 6.5, at least winning, by that margin, seven games this year. However, when you look at this Vegas Raiders team right now, they have the longest odds to win the AFC West at 13 to one, plus 1300 behind the Chiefs, Chargers and Broncos in that order. But Ariel, tomorrow on this show, we will have Bill Krakenberger. The only bet that he says up until this point, at least as of last Tuesday, that he is placed in the NFL futures market currently is on the over of the Vegas Raiders team win total. So something that Crack, one of the sharpest sports bettors out there has seen is that he likes the over of the Raiders team win total this year. So something to note, and you are seeing that movement, of course, in the AFC championship market as well. Maybe there is something with this Raiders team that the public, for the large part, has not expected to see up to this point. But that's why you see the movement from 41 to 1 to 37 to 1 right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook. It's the most movement that any team in the AFC has seen going in their favor. Now, granted, it doesn't matter. They're still 37-1 to 1 to win the AFC. I'm not telling you they're going to win it. It's just maybe you're not looking so closely at Vegas as you should. I told Crack, I said, mm-hmm. okay, you can have your Vegas team go on a run after week one. Don't let the Ravens lose week one. Otherwise, I'm all for it. The Chiefs, they stay the favorites. No surprise here. The Bills have movement in their favor, which doesn't shock me. And the Browns always getting the public love. Ben, with the Browns getting movement from plus 850 to plus 750 on FanDuel, all I love to do is fade this team because the public, for whatever reason, always seems to love them. On paper, it makes sense. I get it. Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. Then on the defensive side, now you add Jadavion Clowney and you still have Miles Garrett. Yeah, on paper, this team seems great. They just never can seem to get their thing, get anything together in the playoffs, Ben. Yeah, like what you mentioned there, when you look at the top of this board right now for market movers, or really the top of the odds right now for the AFC Championship, as it states, the Kansas City Chiefs, the favorite right now at plus 250. The Bills, plus 550. The Ravens, who did not move, have the third shortest odds at plus 650. And the Browns, with about a dollar of movement, to plus 750. Again, not all that surprising when you consider the three teams we are highlighting here in the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Browns having movement in their favor. These are some of the most public teams in all of the NFL, especially on the AFC side. So not really that surprising to see this movement right now. But as you correlate the futures market like we were doing with the Raiders, seeing a good bit of movement on them to maybe the team win total market and having an understanding of where you might also be able to find some profitability in the NFL futures market let's look at the chiefs the bills and the browns in terms of their team win total some of the highest you will see in the afc the chiefs have the highest in all of the nfl right now on fanduel at 12 and a half the bills at 11 and the browns at 10 and a half however 
for all three of these teams, three of the four shortest odds in the AFC Championship market, the juice is to the under of those team win totals. For the Chiefs, it's 12.5, the under, minus 150. For the Bills, it's 11, under, minus 120. And for the Browns, a little less juice, only 10.5 and only minus 115 on that team win total. But that's how you correlate the futures market looking at an AFC championship picture and then diving in to see how that's reflected in the team win total market, Ariel. Another team that I could see being a public favorite, the Los Angeles Chargers. They do move from 17 mm. to 1 to 16 to 1. Ben, it just seems everyone's wanting to bet the Chargers to make the playoffs. Now, the IFC could be rough considering a lot of other teams in this conference do have some more playoff experience than the Chargers do. Chargers struggle to stay healthy. They're the team to me that last year was the Lions. People thought the Lions last year had a team had a chance to make the playoffs or go above their win total. This year, I could see the Chargers being that team that the public continues to back. They think they're going to make the playoffs, and then things just don't go their way, whether it's injuries, whether it's Herbert going through a little bit of regression, a new head coach trying to figure out how to get this new offensive system underway. Those types of things, Ben, could get a team off to a bad start and hurt their chances. I'm not so high yet on the Chargers. It was tough for me even last year to back them. And now you're telling me that in a division with the Kansas City Chiefs that they're still going to have enough wins to make the playoffs? I don't know if I'm ready to back this team yet. What about you? If you're not and you're a person that is looking to fade the Chargers, well, that will cost you some minus money to do so. But if you want to back the Chargers, then there is plus money to be had because their team win total of 9.5 is plus money to the over. If you believe the Chargers will make the playoffs, like FanDuel's Ryan Williams has come on this show and said multiple times, well, that yes is plus 126. So I agree with you, Ariel. I'm still a little bit of a stay away at this moment. I'm not going to fade them necessarily, but I want to see what this Chargers team can do because as the joke has been, for the past three, four, five years on the Los Angeles, then the San Diego Chargers, then with Phillip Rivers, now with Justin Herbert, is they can't seem to get out of their own way, closing out games in the fourth quarter. And a lot of that was tied the past two seasons, as people around the NFL will say, to head coach Anthony Lynn and some of his game management decisions. Now with Brandon Staley, a first-year NFL head coach coming in, maybe there is positive regression to be had. So those close one-possession games that did not go the Chargers' way might start to turn their way now in 2021. You are also banking on Justin Herbert, the NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year from this past year, continuing to take that step and grow in the NFL. The defense should be better, returning some healthy pieces, especially in that secondary like Derwin James, who I think is one of the best safeties in all of football. So I think that I would feel pretty confident about the Chargers having a good year in terms of backing them in the futures market to go over a team win total of nine and a half in a division with the Kansas City Chiefs or to make the playoffs with plus money. I'm going to wait and see right now. But what I will say, if I was going to go into an area of targeting the Chargers, it would be that make the playoffs option at plus 126 because, as we know, the NFL playoff picture has expanded once again. We have seven teams, three wild card teams, now make the playoffs. You have two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five, two more extra games across both divisions on playoff or wild card weekend once the playoffs get underway in early January. So the Chargers, another opportunity to be a part of that. And I think if you look along the AFC, the Chargers have a very favorable position to be one of those wild card teams. So if I was looking to back the Chargers, it would be that make playoffs option on the FanDuel Sportsbook and the yes at plus one in 26. Also, let's just take a moment to laugh in a way at the Denver Broncos and not so much the Denver Broncos and their franchise themselves. 
Exactly. But the odds movement and the odds being as short as they were at any point, even as late as late July on the Denver Broncos. They were 12 to 1 to win the AFC on July 25th. They are now 28 to 1. That should always have been the case. Aaron Rodgers was not going to go to Denver. It was just funny to me that there was a small report on draft day when all that bombshell came from Adam Schefter around the idea that Aaron Rodgers was so unhappy with the Packers. He was looking to be traded, maybe the Niners, maybe the Broncos. And really just that one report, and that was the only smoke there was, maybe the Broncos had them up there at plus 1,200. Where they are at 28-1 to is where the Denver Broncos should be. Hmm. A pretty good defense under Vic Fangio. The offense has their questions. Some very talented playmakers on the outside for either Teddy Bridgewater or Drew Locke to throw to. But again, 28-1 to is where the Denver Broncos should be in the AFC Championship picture. It would be pretty funny, though. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it would be funny if the 49ers decide they're going with Trey Lance midway through the year jimmy garoppolo and end up sending jimmy garoppolo elsewhere mm. such as maybe denver then maybe Ooh. you get yourself an opportunity oh that's just my bold mid-season prediction in the nfl i also wow. have to laugh because the colts moved from 13 to 1 to 17 to 1 to win the afc and this all happening after the fallout with the injuries especially their quarterback carson wentz the titans only move up from 14 to 1 to 13 to 1 with the move i find it weird that they didn't move up any more than that considering their chances of winning the division are better now in Tennessee just thought the movement was a little strange that they didn't move up that much Tennessee shows how much faith the sports books have in them coming up next Tom Becchio going to go into Major League Baseball home run props there was this home run parlay we spoke about in hour number one I'm gonna ask Tom about it too stay here on the grid Sirius XM channel 204 the sports grid network SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Here on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Joining us, Fandles Tom Vecchio. We're going to talk Major League Baseball. Tom, we have been calling you the home run prop king on this show. You have been absolutely crushing it. But here's the thing I hate parlays and I hate parlaying props even more. And there was this better, and we thought maybe it was you because you'd be one of the few people who could hit this. Somebody hit a 69 to 1 home run parlay it included joey Votto plus 250 nolan arenado four to one and jorge soler at three to one the payout thirty dollars made twenty one hundred dollars for this better how insane is this uh that's crazy you know this is one of the things that like you could only hope to dream about hitting it's like you know, I, I just hope that I'm right on, at least on one of those players on most nights. The fact that you get all three is obviously great. Uh, ultimately, like if you're confident in uh, all of those players, like I know, you, I, like you said, I, I don't like parlays either. You don't like parlays, but, you know, doing them each individually and then like a little bit on the parlay uh, itself to add them all together. Like if you're right, then you're going to be like the most right on that given night, which obviously makes it a bit exciting. But I, I 
tend to stay away from parlays because uh, it's really just not the way I like to do things. <laughs> Tom, a ton of plus money on that parlay, but there's a ton of plus money just in hitting one home run prop, which you have done at least one on four straight weeks on this show the morning after. That's a month of home run prop winners. And today, we look to Kansas City in Salvador Perez. Why are we back in Salvi for a home run prop today? So Perez is going up against James Ty- Jameson Tyone for the New York Yankees. And, you know, I could come here and tell you, like, all the normal things I do about matching a, a hitter's batted ball profile with the pitcher's uh, batted, uh, batted ball profile, what he's allowing, you know, reaching this 40-40 line that I've uh, described about hit, their fly ball rates, their hard contact rates, and all these sorts of things. And all that is true for both Sal Perez and Jameson Tyone. But more importantly, on top of that, because all of those things are true to begin with, we want to look at the external factors or the extra factors on tonight's slate. And that is the fact that in Kansas City tonight, we are expecting it to be 92, 93 degrees with 9, 10, 11 mile power winds blowing out. Now, whether in mm-hmm. MLB or whether affects uh, MLB more than any other sport. So we want to be looking at the extra wind blowing out on top of the already great underlying metrics for Sal Perez. So I like Perez tonight. If it's going to be Carlos Santana tonight, it could be anyone from the Yankees. I'm also on board with that. I also kind of like this game over nine and a half total runs. Uh, I have another bet coming up. We'll talk about that one as well. But the weather on top of all the great metrics is the reason I'm really focusing in on this game. You're killing me because I was going the opposite direction on this game. So now we have to go back and forth a little bit. I hated the Yankees Uh and their uh, five and a half runs was the team total. The Yankees haven't scored over five and a half runs on the road yet in the second half. Why is today going to be any different? Is it just the weather factor that you're going to focus on? Because the Yankees haven't been scoring. So they haven't been scoring. They should be going up against, uh, who I think it was Carlos Hernandez tonight from the Kansas mm-hmm. City Royals, a younger pitcher. Uh, you know, modest strikeout rate from him, about 27%. He comes with a high 14% walk rate, which is, is truly terrible. Uh, the Kansas City ballpark, uh, if it's still called Kauffman Field or whatever it is now, uh, leans slightly yeah. towards being a bit of a pitcher's park, but... The heat and the extra wind blowing out can't be denied. And due to just some of the, the bad ball pro- profile that Hernandez is allowing right now, again, smaller sample size, uh, only in about 30 or 48 innings pitched this year, is above 40%, yet he's under one home run allowed per nine innings. So he's allowing all these home runs, and yet none of them are really going for home runs. And it's, you know, Kansas City is not a great lineup overall, but they still have plenty of power in that lineup. And more importantly, if it doesn't get done against Hernandez, the Kansas City bullpen is bad for the Yankees hitters. So, yeah, I know they've been struggling as of late, but we have to, like, look at today's uh, game almost in a little bit of a vacuum because there's it's just such great hitting weather that we can't be denying it. So an over in Kansas City, also an over in Chicago between the Cubs and the Brewers. You like that over of the total of nine. What's the thought process there, Tom? Uh, It's largely the same thing. Now, I will say uh, the warning for this is this game might not even be played because there's supposed to be a lot of rain at Wrigley Field. Now, Wrigley Field is a stadium that's impacted even more by wind than the average field, as we've seen. You know, it's the Windy City, after all, as we've seen uh, a bit last night with those three home runs in the first inning for the Chicago White Sox. Now they're taking on the Brewers. We we should be seeing 11 or 12 mile-power winds blowing out in Wrigley. So 
uh, if the, you know, we added like an extra one or 2%, let's just call it for home runs in most stadiums, it's like three or 4% in Wrigley Field, just because of the stadium, how it's uh, designed, how it's laid out, all those sorts of things. So although Freddie Peralta for the Brewers is a great pitcher this year with a 36% strikeout rate, he has a fly ball rate that's over 48%, yet he's allowing under one home run per nine, which is absolutely unheard of. He's giving up all these fly balls, and none of them are going for home runs. And yes, the Cubs lineup is watered down a bit, or a lot, you could say, of these past few weeks. But they still have some hitters in that spot uh, in that lineup, and the Brewers still have plenty of power, and I'm really, really not worried about the Cubs' bullpen at all. So these extra factors, I think we have to be taking into consideration. And again, this game has not only a lot of wind, but also has the potential for a lot of rain. So I don't want to come on here and say, take Sal Perez and the over in that game. And then we'll just move on to something else. I want to differentiate a little bit, but do be uh, aware of the weather for tonight. Yep, we'll have to be aware of the weather for tonight, considering Tom and I are on opposite pages for a lot of different things, apparently. But Tom Vecchio here at FanDuel joining us. I hate being on the other side of him because he's really smart and knows what he's talking about. Tom, when it comes to the Major League Baseball favorites and how they've been prevailing at such a high rate, 55 and 18 in the last five days, how do you approach betting Major League Baseball when there's really not much value? So this is where you could look to the run lines, I think. You know, the run lines don't necessarily have a lot of juice on them. I think that's fine. Uh, if you are, uh, if you look to, what is it, most books offer, like you can take to who wins the series. Like you can take like the Yankees minus one and a half in a series or whoever might be minus one and a half in a series thinking that they're going to win uh, or sweep the series or whatever it might be, like something along those lines. I think that's how you could try and get around just the heavy money lines on a game by game basis. Tom, you mentioned weather being a huge factor for Major League Baseball, saying it has the most factor of any sport that you see. Why is weather so important when you're doing your Major League Baseball handicapping? Uh, because we're dealing with an object that flies through the air. And, you know, when there's humidity and the, the air is heavy, that like that impacts things. And you know, I said it before, it's like you don't want to just look at like one stat. Like you want to be taking in all this extra information and uh, you know, I turn to someone like, you know, Kevin Roth, who's a me meteorologist. He specifically does a lot of work in the DFS industry. Uh, he's a phenomenal follow on Twitter. He does it for all sports, but it's baseball season. And he like he shows you information like, hey, this game has a lot of extra wins tonight. Like you might want to be cautious about playing the pitchers here because there's a clear downside for them. But it's an absolute boost for bats. So taking in all this information from all these ballparks that have, you know, thousands and thousands of at bats for their 10, 12 year uh, you know, life cycles for these stadiums or wherever it might be, you know, we see all this information saying, okay, when it's above 90 degrees and there's wind blowing out, we see extra home runs on a what percent basis. So something along those lines, I think you have to be taking into consideration. Tom, switching over to the NFL, you have a season-long prop that you're keeping your eye on, and that's the wide receiver for the 49ers, Brandon Ayuk, over 825 and a half receiving yards for the season. It's at minus 112. Why do you see value on Ayuk this year? So that line, I, I think, is too low. I think it's way too low. Uh, last year, he totaled 748 yards. He only played 12 games last year. So that's 62 yards per game. He only played 12 games. So this season, uh, if we look to the fact that he's going to be playing 17 games this year, right? so we have to add in the extra uh, game, if he played 16 games at that same rate of 62 yards, it's 992 yards. And if he plays 17 games this year, it would be over 1,000 yards. 
Now, I understand that people saying like, oh, what are we going to be seeing with the, with the 49ers and their quarterback situation? I'm hesitant on that. I don't know if it's going to be Jimmy G, it's going to be Trey Lance. Uh, I think, like, personally, I think Jimmy, Dries, Jimmy G is, like, a good quarterback. I think Trey Lance has the chance to be great. And you're saying, oh, I'm worried about that. I don't know if his production is going to be consistent, et cetera, et cetera. If we look back to last year, Ayuk was catching balls from not only Jimmy G, but Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard. And he still managed to put up 748 yards at 62 yards per game and was going to go past his total if he played a full season. He only played 12 games. So it actually doesn't matter who Ayuk is catching the ball from. And we saw that last year. If we look to all the San Francisco 49ers receiving stats, if we look to some of his underlying metrics, like his air yards, he led the team. His uh, A dot was at 9.0 or 9.3, which was the second highest on the team, only behind Richie James. If we look to his market share of targets, all these things are leading the team for the 49ers, if not second. So it doesn't matter who's quarterback for the 49ers. I like them as a team overall this year. Hopefully it's going to be Trey Lance. I think he has a higher upside than Meridu, Jimmy G, and that just means more yards for Brandon Ayuk. So weather has been a main topic on this segment for you here, Tom Becchio. So how much does weather in the NFL affect your handicapping? So weather is important. Uh, it's like not as important as a lot of people think. Like these receivers still go out, go out there and catch the ball in rain. Like uh, it, wind only in, impacts the total once it gets over. I think it's 15 miles per hour. That affects when the, the deep ball is impacted. Like there's a lot of great studies out there that show like when it's below a certain temperature or when there's X amount of wind, that's when the total is actually affected. Uh, but a little bit of rain and a little bit of wind actually doesn't matter that much. Uh, the same thing with snow. It's only if it's going to be consistently snowing for the entirety of the game and there's going to be accumulating on the ground. Like a little bit of snow doesn't really matter. And of course, I will turn to uh, Kevin Roth, meteorologist, or look at some of these extrapolated studies over a number of years to see what actually matters. So a little bit of rain, a little bit of wind doesn't impact things that much. But once it, whatever the breaking point is, 15 or 18 miles per hour wind, that's when the deep ball really gets impacted for quarterbacks. I love those last minute movements on games, especially on snowy days where everyone thinks it's under, 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 and games end up going over anyway. Tom, just a couple of minutes left, and when it comes to the NFL, the wide receiver for the New Orleans Saints, Michael Thomas, he tweeted out today basically that he didn't tell his side of the story, which helped save the identity of someone who tried to bring him down. Not sure if it's the Saints that he's implying, but Twitter thinks that it is. What is your takeaway from what's going to go on with the New Orleans Saints this year without Drew Brees? So uh, that's good to know. I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't see him uh, tweet that this morning. Go to but his like all, yeah, all, all of this is it. Like I saw the report of the weekend that uh, they said that like Michael Thomas ghosted them for three months or whatever it was that he did. Uh, like all of that's important. All of that impacts the dynamic in the locker room. I think that this is where you know when. He, he finally comes back from whatever this injury he has is it a knee or a foot injury i can't remember at this point but once he comes he back like how yeah how much of an impact or how much are they willing like going to be going to be willing to give him within the offense are they just going to ease him back in and say okay like you're here like we're going to work you back into the offense or are they just going to go right back to uh giving him a full roll of 9 10 12 15 targets a game Ultimately, I think that just means I want more shares of Alvin Kamara in uh, season long. I want him in best ball. I want to look at his over on a game by game basis, like all those sorts of things, because they're relying on the mainstay that they have in that offense. And it's going to be Kamara because they're without their number one wide receiver. They're without their starting court or their 
who was their starting quarterback. If everything else is changing, it means that I guess it just means more touches and more receptions for Kamara. So I'll be looking at him basically every game, even when Michael Thomas comes back. When or if Michael Thomas comes back. Seems like drama is brewing at Saints training camp. Vandal's Tom Vecchio, thank you for joining us today. And good luck to your MLB bets. Not really, because I'm pretty sure I'm on the opposite side of you. We'll close that hour two up next. <laughs> it's simple, really. Sports grid, good. Everything else, bad. This is Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Closing out hour number two on the morning after on Sports Grid. You're listening on Sirius XM Channel 204 with Ben Stevens. I'm Ariel Epstein. Let's get now to Guess the Line. This preseason, the Philadelphia Phillies were 3-1 to one to make the playoffs. Not win the division, to make the playoffs. We don't get to see those live odds up anymore on the FanDuel Sportsbook. However, Ben, guess the line for what the Phillies to make the playoffs line would be now. You want me to be really exciting here? Here we go. Well, Philadelphia is now the favorite to win the NL East at even money, plus 100 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. To make the playoffs right now, Philly would be even money, plus 100. Why do I say that, Ariel Epstein? Because the only way for the Phillies, the Braves, or the Mets, whoever ends up winning the National League East to make the playoffs, will to be to be that division champion. So when you look at that right now, you have the Braves six and a half games back of the wild card spot, the Mets seven games back of the wild card spot. The only way for any team in the NL East to make the playoffs is to win that division. So I would say for the Phillies to make the playoffs is the same as their odds to win the NL East, even money plus 100. Ooh, interesting, Ben. I didn't see that take coming. See, I thought you would have put it in the minus and said, this Phillies team's going to win, but you're right. They have to win the division in order to make it in, and they're not going to get the wild card. It's going to be two NL West teams. We're going to talk about the National League West coming up next in our West Coast wake-up. The Phillies, they have the best odds, plus 100 on FanDuel to win the National League East. This division is weird. It's terrible and horrible, and I love what Mark Zeno, who's going to come on the show this week, he brought up from here on SportsGrid that over under one and a half one and a half wins for whoever in the national league east makes it through the playoffs i think it's an interesting question to ask ben over and under one and a half wins for an nl east team in the playoffs breaking news by the way ariel not so much breaking news the phillies have moved a lot this morning they're minus 155 to win the nl east to correct myself from what i saw it earlier so maybe minus 155 to make the playoffs now. what what yeah, it was plus wow. 100 this morning okay MSG, we have to sign off. Tune into sportsgrid.com. Find out which platform works best for you. Up next, Hour 3, Series XM, Channel 204.